And you can imagine a lot of newer people, and I would probably group myself even still in that group where we focus on, okay, what's the technical solution? And then, you know, some gray beard in the corner is like, what if we just tell them to chill and like <laughs> have a drink? <laughs> Could you imagine putting like a sleep or a weight in your code that says like, try again in 24 hours? Like, right? That seems so wrong. <laughs> Welcome to Working Code, and now your hosts, none of whom have ever seen a failing unit test, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. Okay, here we go. It is show number 151, and on today's show, we're going to talk about how Ben is an async boy, and he's living in an async world. (laughs) So fancy. (laughs) But first, as usual, we'll start with our triumphs and fails. Uh, And Carol, why don't you lead us off? All right. I'm going to start us off terribly. So I'm going to call this a fail. It has hit me that I no longer like have a place that's home. Like it's more of like a feeling. It's just kind of some things around me, but I don't have home anymore. I'm only going to be here a few months. Then we're going to move. And then a year and a half later, we'll move again. And until we figure out where we put roots at, we don't have home. And I am missing what I would consider like home, which is the normalcies, my everyday life, knowing which grocery store carries the items I'm looking for and not having to go through Mm. places. Just the daily routine, like this time zone sucks. It sucks for trying to (laughs) contact my kids. Like it's great for some things, but for trying to communicate with people who still live on the East Coast, it's awful. It's so bad. The best coast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of going back to missing the East Coast. I said forever I wanted to leave the South and I wanted to leave the East Coast. And now I'm thinking I might want to go back. (laughs) But yeah, I just miss it. I'm sure I'll get settled in and things will be good. But right now I'm pretty blue. Uh, Mm. Sorry. I mean, my wife has been here in this country 23 years since she came over from Sweden to marry me. And she still is like, I want to go home. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> I get it. This is where, where are you going to go? None of your family even lives in Sweden anymore. <laughs> yeah. I told my husband, I'm like, I just want my mom to hand me a plate of food. And I want it mm-hmm. to be like cornbread and collard greens and a nice mm-hmm. big fried pork chop. Things that oh. just don't really exist in my world right now. No. Have a taco. Yes. Have a taco. Which are great here. <laughs> Anyway, all right. That's me. What about you, Tim? So, I mean, we, we it was only a few days ago since we recorded last. I don't really have a whole lot of workplace stuff to talk about. Nothing, nothing sh- mm-hmm. shaking the world. So I'll, I'll go with something personal. So I think I've talked in the past about when I was in high school, I did one act competition where it's it's a it's competitive theater, basically. You put a, you do a one act play, you compete against other schools and they have judges and I was in Pike County when I was growing up, and and Mary Persons always hosted the competition, and Mary Persons always won. Surprise, surprise, because they had a lot of money in, in there. They weren't a private school, but I, I guess they got some sort of, you know, someone donated them a huge amount of money because they have like fantastic theater and like just rooms full of costumes, and I mean, just really. And we we basically had a, a little stage, and yeah, that was about it, and fifty bucks. But my daughter's been doing it for the past. Three years in high school, 
And so that today, it was actually today, this morning, she left to, to go up there to compete against Mary Persons and all the other schools. And I think there's probably like 10 schools. And out of all of them, they placed second for their one-act play. Which oh, is the wow. Best, Congratulations. Which is the best they ever done. They Yay. were doing a 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. And, and she was one of the you know spellers. And so, yeah, they did really well. They got best set design. And then they had two actors on their team kind of called out for for excellence. So, wait, their super. their play that they put on was a spelling bee. Yeah, it's a play about okay. spelling bee. Yeah, it's uh, a play about I just a spelling bee. Wanted to clarify that was a little confusing. Yeah, I'm glad that uh, your kids are continuing to overachieve. That's very nice. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to keep those coattails there for Tim. That's right. <laughs> I mean, the, the the main thing though was like I, I'm like just beat Mary Persons whatever you do, and of course Mary Persons put on Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, and that's it a good was, show. It, and it was like my daughter was like it was flawless. She said I would go pay money to see them do it again. Well, so they they got first place. So, but anyway, they they did really well. I'm super proud of all those kids. They worked super hard on it. They were you know doing rehearsals every day after school until like five five thirty, and then sometimes on the weekends on Saturday and Sunday, and just put a whole lot of time into it. They did fantastic. So cool. Well, good for them. Yeah, that's me. How about you, Adam? I'm going to go with a fail. I've just been, I think the the word that I remember Ben using for this back in the day here on the podcast was Logie. Mm-hmm. I'm just not feeling, I'm just like kind of down in the dumps, you know, no, no good reason. Just like nothing seems positive. You know, I'm doing work, but it doesn't make me hyped, which is sad, right? Like I, I, there are so many days when I'm just like, super excited about work from the moment that I sit down at my desk until the moment at five o'clock that I realized I completely missed lunch and you know, like the, that kind of yeah. day where you're just like on all day and, and cranking out the code. I miss those days. Cause it, it feels like it's been a while since I've had one. I'm just kind of like blah. And, I mean, as Tim mentioned, we've had kind of a short week, so we haven't had a whole lot going on. And I was also, I guess I should mention when we last recorded, it was the day before my foot surgery. I am now post-op and I survived. And, Nice. I weigh <laughs> slightly less now. They took mm-hmm. some some tissue from my foot. Um, but do you so, have any cadaver tissue now? I don't oh, know yeah. for sure. I didn't get to talk to the surgeon mm. post surgery, but I'll talk to him tomorrow. Until then, yeah. we'll just have to monitor for mood changes. And, yeah, uh, erratic <laughs> behavior. Or was yeah. it was it pig an option? It was, yeah. He so I, yeah. I have a feeling yeah. that uh, <laughs> today's episode might be brought to you by brains, but we'll see. <laughs> I was about um, to say, are you craving brains? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So I've been walking around in this. I, I I don't know if orthotic is the right word, but you know, the, it's like I had when he said you'll have to wear a boot after the surgery. I pictured that like gigantic, like almost all the way up to the knee, yeah, like a plastic, like kind of boot. Thing. That were like, you know, it's got like six Velcro straps around your leg or whatever. That's kind of what I envisioned. I come out and they're like, here you go. And they hand it to me and it's like a shoe with a with a three or four inch thick heel. It's all like kind of a hard foam. And then it's just like a little bit of like a foam sides and some Velcro to go over the top. It's like... I, Orthopedic it, boot is so hot right it, now. <laughs> it feels like if you ask like a clown to design a, a, a medical shoe or if you asked a doctor to design a clown shoe right like they're it feels very weird and and whatever but like i don't know whatever things are going well with that i think everybody um, be wearing them soon <laughs> maybe what, what really sucks is that you know i'm supposed to wear it pretty much constantly and, and the difference in 
like I said, it's like a probably at least three inch thick sole. Mm. And then I'm, my, my other foot, I'm wearing like my slippers, which is like mm. almost nothing, right? Like maybe a half inch at most, including all the padding. Um, or your wife's. And wife. so like, I'm, I'm kind of standing, you know, like caddy wampus, mm. my got one shoulder higher than the other. It's just it's like, I, it, when I'm standing there brushing my teeth, I feel weird. I'm like looking in the mirror. I'm like, what is wrong? <laughs> but you know what you need is a Phillies win. I think that will just yeah. Please can we? So I mean, as we're recording this tonight, it's going to be a little anachronistic for listeners, but hopefully the Phillies will clinch their spot in the World Series tonight. And and we are. I appreciate you guys recording a little early tonight so that I can catch the beginning of the game. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I'm all decked out. I got my Phillies hat on. I got my Phillies jersey on. Got my Phillies sweatpants on. I don't actually have Phillies sweatpants, but. In the show, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. There's that yeah. green character that Charlie is always doing, where he's, he's dressed green in man. And is that is that a real character that that comes out to no. games? Or okay, I didn't know if <laughs> no. that was that's a based that on is something. A, a Charlie Day character. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like it's a it's his alter ego that he brings out for the the show every once in a while. Nice. It's like a it's a it's a character on the show, but it's it's funny. So I guess that's about it for me. Just feeling blah. I need a vacation. Feeling. I guess the word is Logie. How about you, Ben? I'm going to go with the triumph, but it, it is not my triumph. It was an experiential triumph. So I ordered something on Amazon like on Friday or Saturday, and it said it'll arrive on Monday, which at the time of this recording is yesterday. And then Monday rolls around and I get an alert from Amazon. Your package is out for delivery. It should arrive by 9 p.m. tonight. So 9 p.m. rolls around and, and nothing is, is there. And then at 9.30, I get an alert that the package has been delivered. So I take the dog out. I go out in my, in my boxers, which is just a nice thing that I can do since there's nobody around. And I, I just walk around to the garage. I look around the porch and nothing is there. So in the morning, I was tired. So I went to sleep. And in the morning, I wake up and I go to my Amazon dashboard and I log into my orders. And it still says that the order was delivered the night before. And uh, so I go to open up a support ticket to say that it wasn't actually delivered. And one of the options that they have is we said it was delivered, but nothing showed up. So I clicked on that and it has some text that says, try checking in the bushes and around the porch. If not, <laughs> did, did you look or did you man look? <laughs> it says, if Honey, not, where's my package? <laughs> it says, if, if not, orders tend to, it's a, the language is funny. It's like, Orders tend to be found within 24 hours of the delivery date, which I just thought was a strange way to phrase it. They're so not I'm blaming like, you, but they're blaming you. Is what they're doing there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to let it go. And then finally, so that was that was uh, Monday morning, or that was that was Monday. It hadn't showed up. So then Tuesday, I checked, and today is Tuesday at the time it's recording. And then it showed up finally around like two o'clock this afternoon. And and I just thought it was. A really great example of the way that the world is very messy. You know, Amazon's sending out this package and it's getting delivered by USPS, the United States Postal Service. So they don't really have any control once it leaves their factory or, you know, their distribution mm-hmm. center. And the USPS marked it as delivered. And again, Amazon just, they can't do anything about that. They can't argue with the fact that the USPS is marking this as delivered. So instead of just believing that all the data is correct and all the world is always synchronous and and up to date, they address it with language. 
And the language that they have on their support page, again, is that, oh, yeah, even if it says it delivered, it should show up within 24 hours. And I just thought that that was a, a great example of solving the right problem with the right solution. Meaning, instead of trying to, you know, spend weeks investigating the USPS API and opening support tickets with the postal service to try and figure out why something wasn't delivered when it said it was delivered. They said, you know what, we're just going to solve that with words and it's not going to be a technical solution. It's going to be a human solution and the world is going to go on. And Mm -hmm. uh, I just wish that I had a better instinct about when to lean into solutions like that. I think because of the way that I work, which is generally more of a monolithic architecture where you send in data to the database and it better be saved. I don't want to have to argue about that. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a kind of backlog of experiences and patterns that I can use to say, hey, this may or may not work and it'll probably work most of the time. And if it doesn't work most of the time, maybe the right solution is not a technology one, but you know, we're just going to accept the fact that maybe some support tickets get open and that's going to be fine. And that's never a problem we have to solve. Right. So, yeah, it just, it strikes me as very similar in some ways to a thought that I had and shared with my team today, which was that starting a business is much more interesting and exciting than running a business. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, when you're start when you're starting a business, you just like okay, got some ideas. I'm gonna test some stuff out, sell it to people, get some sales. You know, work out their early kinks. But like running a business, now you're 10, 15, 20 years into this, and like mm-hmm. you got stuff. You know, you got commitments, you got bugs that are gonna pop up, you got you know wear and tear on your equipment. Stuff just like it's never ending. And then you're also supposed to continue to be productive, and somehow this is supposed to be enjoyable. It's like. It, it occurred to me the other day, I was like, man, I, I very much right now do not have a job, right? Like, even though I, I do just kind of have a job, I could just quit and go work somewhere else, whatever. But like the the sort of emotional investment that I have to my position is very much like sort of semi, you know, founder level, right? Mm-hmm. So like I, I'm invested, I'm personally emotionally invested in making this business work. And so like when stuff is not working, I don't feel like I have that freedom to just be like, you know what, this job sucks, and I'm out, right? Like, I, I I want to see it through. I want to make it work. And it's hard. It's hard work. I'm trying to think if I can think of an example of something in our business that's similar to what well, you're talking about. You were ben. just talking the other day about how when you're doing transactions and Rogue sends Carol some stuff and Carol's credit card pays for it, like, that doesn't necessarily get I don't know what the right word is, but like all the yeah, accounts are indebted. None of that, n- none of that synchronous, that's for sure. Yeah. Right. And, and it, but it, there it's so obvious that I assume all the people who are building systems like this, they, they plan for that. But I think there's so many little subtle things that, yeah. I don't know. Eventually that, consistent. Yeah. yeah and, and actually, I just thought of one. So, you know, because we're the, the payment processor, we're the ones in the middle force you know someone else's software we're, we don't necessarily so you have the act of taking the money right and that's what we do we put the card information in on our our, our technology we talk to whatever you know back-end processors we need to and then we tell another piece of software an api or you know some monolith or something and say hey this is this was approved here's the approval information you go do your stuff to update your financials to know that that was paid, right? Well, 
99% of the time, they, they say, yep, got it, and they apply it. And then that 1% of the time, it's like they, they get it, and for some reason, they're like, oh, I, 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 they, for some reason, they don't apply it. So mm-hmm. a person looks and they goes, well, I paid this. Why doesn't my, why doesn't my you know, invoice reflect this on my insurance? I, I paid it today at 9 a.m. It's not showing up. So rather than trying to fix that, because it's like there could be so many reasons why that doesn't apply, and I'm not in control of that. It's not my software, right? It's not my software's fault. They, they didn't do it. So what we do is just have an audit routine that runs through and says, we sent you 5,000 payments today. Do you have this one? And we have a thing that, that we can go query and say, oh, yeah, we got it. You know, here's the approval code. Okay, good. And just marked it off. And then for like the 1% that didn't get through, we say, we have a manual process. Like mm-hmm. we have customer service people that go and check it and go, yep, it's not there. They, they have a way to manually apply it. And so it's not instantaneous, but it's close enough, right? So if you make a payment in the morning and then in the afternoon payment shows up, you're like, okay, I still got insurance. So <laughs> it, that was a, but that's a business decision, right? That was, you know, a developer, you know, a developer themselves can't make that decision. Someone higher up has to say, you know, it's okay. If it's not immediate, we can wait a few hours and apply this and it's not the end of the world, but you need someone whose job just isn't all t- technically focused because otherwise they're just going to drive themselves crazy trying to figure out how to do it when it's not even within their realm of control. That, that's a great point in terms of who can even make these decisions because I think you can go down so many deep rabbit holes trying to build crazy resiliency into an asynchronous process that it can be very expensive. On a previous episode, Adam and I were talking about building resiliency and we're talking about the the level of nines, the availability that there's like three nines availability, four nines, five nines, which is the you know percentage of uptime you commit to having in your service level agreements, and each one of those nines adds an extraordinary amount of cost. If you go from four nines to five nines, like super expensive, and five nines to six nines, like only Google can pay for that kind of stuff, right? But you know, in order to know where to cut corners. I think engineers oftentimes don't feel comfortable or don't know that they have permission to even do things like that. Yeah, I, I think developers, engineers, we tend to think it has to be perfect. Right. Right. Well, that's what that's the goal, right? Mentally. But it's like that's just not how things are sometimes. Sometimes perfect's impossible or or good enough is good enough. I keep thinking about thumbnailing images that keeps popping into my mind because that's something that we have to do at work a lot. And thumbnailing images is one of those things where it probably is going to work pretty well in 99.99% of cases. But then for whatever reason, maybe there's a file IO issue, or if you're storing to S3, maybe Amazon throws an error and suddenly your thumbnail is broken or, you know, it it goes to request the thumbnail file, but it, it hasn't been generated yet. And you're showing a broken image on the client. And it's like you could build in a very robust process that keeps trying to generate a thumbnail over and over again or queues it up and does something very clever. Or you could just say, you know, when the user re-uploads that image, the thumbnail will get generated and that'll just fix it. And that's okay. But it's that's like a whole product question. Is it okay to have a broken thumbnail mm-hmm. for some period of time? Is it okay to ask a user to re-upload their file in order to regenerate the thumbnail? And that's not something that the engineer can necessarily just make in, in isolation, but they don't yeah, necessarily I mean, know that it's something they can even bring up. That, I mean, that to me sounds like the perfect reason to have like a product owner or a product manager 
sort of thing. That's the type of person that you would expect to, to be able to have that strategic mental model for the application, right? Is this an app where we need that thumbnail and I need you to retry it 50 times or, or is it okay to just be like, hey, your thing broke, can you re-upload it, right? And that speaks, I think, to the, the whole way you kicked this off with the Amazon, you know, you probably just didn't notice that it was six inches to the left of where you were looking, um, <laughs> right, in, in their help text. I, I think you're absolutely right that like, you know, what they did was they saw, okay, we have this problem, you know, N percent of our support tickets are people calling to say, you said my package was delivered, but I don't see it. And it actually either already was there or, you know, USPS reported it's delivered two hours too early or something like that. And they like, they, they recognize that that's a self-fixing problem for, for the vast majority of those tickets. And so they were like, really what we need is some way to convince the user that it will fix itself, right? So that language there, that helps with that. And then it's like, okay, well, if it's still not fixed in 24 hours, then please let us know. We want to make it right. But, you know, like, and doing it in a way that's not like, you're an idiot, you didn't look in the right place. You know, the emotional intelligence of that prompt that you were talking about, I think is very high. And I think well, that this, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I think, I think it is high and I think this kind of differentiation between approaches to solutions is, is what separates, you know, maybe a very experienced, I don't want to say engineer, because I think this, you know, these ideas could come from anyone in the stack, but someone who is new and is more focused on correctness mm-hmm. and someone who is maybe more experienced and is more focused on product outcome, maybe. I don't know if product outcome yeah. is, is a good comparison to correctness, but you could imagine that someone's like, hey, team, you know, we're getting 400 tickets opened a month for people who are saying that their package isn't there and we told them it's there. And you can imagine a lot of newer people, and I would probably group myself even still in that group where we focus on, okay, what's the technical solution? And then, you know, some gray beard in the corner is like, what if we just tell them to chill and like (laughs) have a drink? (laughs) Could you imagine putting like a sleep or a weight in your code that says like, Try again in 24 hours. Like, right? That seems so wrong. <laughs> it's it, not there it right now. so wrong. But Wait. I think it ends up being totally the right approach in this context. Yeah. This is a, a, a small kind of piddly example. But so whenever you're calculating like the, the percentage, like a, you're doing a percentage fee on, on what you're going to charge the customer for processing a, a payment. So the merchant who is, you know, the company that's taking credit cards they're getting charged a certain percentage, right? Usually around 3% or 2.75% or whatever. And sometimes those percentage numbers kind of go out a little further. And we have a, it's always the small customers. The big customers, for some reason, are like, ah, it is what it is. But like the little guys, they're like, they have, they have like 200 transactions for, for the month or actually the day. And so we show them, here's how much you charge the customer. Here's the, you know, we do the percentage calculation say, here's the fee that you're going to pay for it. And, and then, you know, here's what's left over. And so we've shown it for each line item, but at the actual processor level, they don't do it individual line item. You know, they don't do each chart transaction. They'll just do it on an entire batch of payments, apply that percentage and charge them. And depending on how they go, I mean, sometimes you're off by a penny up or down. It's, it's always only a penny. 
mm-hmm. uh, because just, you know, moving the decimal point and, you know, rounding and things like that where you rounded at. And that, that just drove that customer nuts. <laughs> and they're like, the penny hey, off. The, the penny, penny off. off. Yeah. yeah. They're like, well, you said, you said, you know, we're, you know, we're going to pay, you know, $700 in fees, $700 and three cents. And, but actually the, this report here that you sent us, it says it was 702. So where's the penny? You know, what's that? It's like, so if it, if it <laughs> you got a, you got a Ill- one cent discount. Right. Well, yeah. Some, but sometimes it was up, sometimes it was down. And so yeah. to illustrate to them how ridiculous worrying about this was, we said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll track the over and under each and every day. And then at the end of the month, if there's a credit, we'll, we'll you know, 30 cents credit, we'll, we'll pay you the, that credit. We'll give you that credit back. Or if it's charged, we'll bill you. The 30 cents. <laughs> and when you put it in that perspective, like, they're like, I guess it's really not worth it. We're like, thank you. <laughs> First, they're like, fix the report. We're like, it's not a report problem. It's like, you're wanting to see each individual transaction, what your charge is. We're, we're getting close, but it's like, but that's not mm-hmm. actually how it's calculated. It, it's on the whole batch. So I wonder if you could have used a more precise number, right? Instead of saying for this charge, you're going to be, you are going to be charged a fee of, you know, a dollar and 17 cents if you could have said a dollar 16 and you know yeah, yeah 1.16432 yeah. right like if that would i don't know i, I spent I, I spent two weeks trying to get that those numbers right and i even talked to the processor and they're like they're like yeah this isn't going to happen and it's not worth it yeah so. yeah for sure when you're talking about payments another thing pops to my mind i was listening to an interview maybe like two years ago. So I don't remember exactly what the context was, but there was a company that was accepting online payments. I think, you know, some sort of e-commerce system or service system. I can't remember what. And and they made a decision at one point that because the upstream services, the payment gateways are not necessarily available all the time, they're just going to accept every single order that comes through. Like they won't say that you're, you know, that your order is complete. They'll say, we've accepted your order. Then they'll process the charge in the background and if the charge doesn't go through then they just send an email saying hey we couldn't charge your credit card yeah we couldn't charge your credit card click here to update your card details mm-hmm. and again just another thing the world is messy things don't always yeah. work out and we just have to have an asynchronous process in place that reconciles systems so today i ordered my niece's birthday presents from hot topic because you know that's where all teenage girls shop at <laughs> and I tried paying with Apple Pay, just like doing it on my phone. And I don't know if it's because our address has changed or whatever. It a hot topic returned back immediately, like, oh, we couldn't process this. We couldn't process this. We couldn't process this. So then I just go, okay, I'll do type in my credit card number myself. So I did that. I look at my credit card. There are four transactions to Hot Topic pending. Oh. <laughs> so I think the the failure wasn't in the credit card. It was somewhere on their side. I mean, they let me know they couldn't process it, but they still have four pending out there. But I just assumed it was an issue with Apple Wallet. I had a very similar thing. I was buying some skydiving equipment from skydiving hot equipment. Topic. <laughs> <laughs> hot topic. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I had, you know, they have like a rewards point thing, right? So you get like a point <laughs> for every dollar you spend and then you can cash in those points for, you know, one point is one cent or something on your future orders. And I had like, you know, $3 worth of points. I was like, whatever, I'll just, you know, t- it'll cover the tax or something. And it... I think that whatever there there were their system for tracking usage of those points was messing up because like I I ordered 
hundreds of dollars worth of equipment, like four times, always just trying to use that stupid $3 discount. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, and finally, I was like, you know what? I bet you this is what's breaking it. Let me just put in the order without. And and of course, that one worked. I'm like, okay, well, you know, whatever, no big deal. And then I look at my credit card like the next day and there's four charges. I'm like, that's not mm. gonna, I, I don't yeah. need four helmets to show up at my house. <laughs> like, let me email them real quick. Oh. Uh. Well, let me, let me, Tim, let me ask you a question because this is something you might have some insight into. So, uh, I noticed that I, I make purchases through Apple. Like I pay for my Hulu subscription through Apple and then I'll rent movies through Apple and I get a number of charges from Apple every month. But what I notice is, is that they appear to sort of chunk charges together. So they won't necessarily charge me for Hulu separately from a movie rental. They'll defer charging me for a movie rental like two weeks. And then when my Hulu subscription is up for renewal, they'll charge me for both the Hulu and the movie rental. And is that yeah. is that some sort of technique to get like lower some charge overage cost or something? Avoid maybe? fees or something? Yeah, maybe because so on the on the back end, it depends on how they're they're paying their processors. So sometimes you'll have a, a flat percentage, and if they do that, then it really wouldn't matter because <laughs> the percentage of the total is going to be very similar to the within a penny of doing it individually but sometimes there's it's a percentage plus an oh, amount right like two right? so be a percentage three percent perc- kind of yeah, percentage plus you know ten percent or mm. not plus ten cents or five cents or whatever and so they might do roll those up into one transaction so mm-hmm. that you know they're saving five cents and then on their scale they're doing stuff i mean that can probably add up right um, it's so crazy and- to think about scale Sorry, go ahead. The other, I was going to say, no, the other thing I had saw with that was there was a lot of issue with cards starting to reject transactions because the same amounts were being charged over and over again for things like in-app purchases and when you were doing mm-hmm. games. And it was a lot easier for Apple and other providers to be like, oh, well, here's an email that says we charge you $23 and here are the 10 things you bought versus $199, $199. Because people would be like, yeah. I didn't charge that $199, but I charged the other $199. So yeah. it, it made their fraud levels go down as well. Oh, and I'm sure like... I bet you too, like you're just saying, if I got six one ninety nine charges on my thing and on my credit card and you know, I knew that four of them were real, but the two weren't yeah. like, then I'm going to have to like jump through a whole bunch of hoops and, and do a whole bunch yep. of crap just to deal with some chargebacks on $4 worth of charges. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I don't want to do it. Apple doesn't want to do it. So by like bundling, just it makes the whole process like. I guess easier or, it's, or yeah, it seems easier to maintain for everybody. Bundle, it, it bundles the overhead in as well, right? Like instead of spreading it out across, and it could be how their accounting is done. They could roll things into like a monthly invoice. You just kind of have an open account. You charge whatever you want to that account, and then they make the account good for you at a certain point in the month, right? So everything's on that that rolling in monthly invoice. So you got to give your your credit card to Apple for incidentals in case you use the, mm-hmm. the App Store mini bar, <laughs> right? Exactly. I think today there was an example of this in my re- in my purchasing life today. So at, at Dragon Con, they have what they call, we call the Hotel Hunger Games. <laughs> it's it's so it's like there, there's certain they'll announce in advance when the rooms, the hotel rooms for the, for the official hotels are going to be opened. And so Marriott Marquis already did theirs, and one of the other hotels I forget which of the, but anyway, you're talking about for next was, year. For next year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this Already, is for next wow. year. 
you have to be, you have to like really prepare because it's like it sells out so fast. So we already have our tickets for next year, but the Westin, which is like the hotel we like to go to, the Westin Peachtree Atlanta, today was theirs. That was the last one with the Hunger Games. And so they, in previous things, you would basically go to their, the, the hotel website and just hit refresh as much as you could until you got in. And typically the, it would crash. Marriott Marquis had this terrible th- this thing where people were being asked for, please enter your pass key. And I was like, I don't know what, 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 do, you, what do you want? There's like some mm-hmm. sort of password and no one could figure it out. And people spent like four or five hours of their morning trying to get a hotel room. Well, Weston did something different. It's still pass key, which is a, a reservation system. What they did is they gave you a, a link. Everyone gets the same link. You go to that link and it puts you in a queue. So 10 a.m. is when the block opens to get rooms. I get it up at 9.30 and, you know, made sure I was up and there, got my coffee ready. 9.30, I go there and it gives me a GUID. And no matter how much I refresh the page or whatever, the GUID stays the same. And they say, you, you will be, when it opens at 10 a.m. Eastern time, you'll randomly be put in the queue. And so I'm like, all right, let me increase my chances. So I'm opening IE or Explorer. I've got Brave open and I've got Chrome open. I've got three different ones open and I'm refreshing it. I got a different GUID each time or a GUID on each browser. So I'm like, okay, I'm set. So 10 a.m. rolls around. One of my browsers within 30 seconds pops up and says, make a reservation. So I got a room. That's the great thing. But the other ones, I'm like, I just want to see. So I'm sitting there like, 12 minutes on one of the browsers, I think it's Brave, and I finally get in and it says there's 3,000 people in front of you. Oh, boy. <laughs> and so by the time I actually got around to making a reservation on the other one, it was, they were all gone. Mm-hmm. And so that, but at least, I mean, normally the, the booking process would take several hours of frustration. This, you know, within, within a, a few minutes, actually, I, I had one, but it's like, even at the worst, it was only like, like within 10, 15 minutes people were doing it. So it was this this asynchronous process, but they made it synchronous by basically putting everyone in a virtual queue. Mm-hmm. And then they went through Limiting and, the numbers, yeah. Yeah, they're like, you have, once you get in, you have, we'll reserve, we'll hold a room for you. We'll hold you a spot, but you have 10 minutes. After 10 minutes, if you haven't purchased a room, there's no chance that, that, that the virtual room that we're holding for you is gone. Yep. <clears throat> that is such a good solution. I uh, like it's that's so clever. It makes me almost angry because I feel like I would have never come up with something like that. But that's just so. I think about uh, Ticketmaster, you mm-hmm. know, and how people always complain about who's that? Who's that woman that everyone loves now? Uh, Taylor, Taylor Swift? Swift. Yeah, like Taylor Swift concert. Tickets. Travis Kelsey's girl girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, Mrs. Taylor Travis Kelsey. They'll go on sale and will be sold out in in like thirty seconds. And and like half of the tickets have been bought by scalpers that are operating mm-hmm. bots kind of things. But if you put everyone into a queue and then just randomly sort the queue when it comes time to purchasing, I don't know, it just seems so clever. I mean, it, it feels clever if you got a room. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. The, the other people, the other people who didn't get one, they're like, this sucks. I hate this. But just think about it. It's, it's like equally unfair to everybody. In a way that makes it fair. So it's, it's, you know, it's not that, you know, oh, your bots were better at solving the CAPTCHA fast. So now you were able to buy 27 tickets. It's a, you know, whether or not your bots are any good, you get put in the queue just like everyone else. Right. I don't know. I'm just, I just think that's a really clever idea. And I'm going to put it in my back pocket for, you know, when I have people sign up for my bake sale. Something that's been (laughs) going through bake sale. Something that's been kind of going through my head as we've been having this conversation is like, 
I've noticed a an evolution or a, a maturing maybe is a better explanation for it of like the type of applications that I've been building throughout my career. And I don't, I don't know if this is the, the mature, the maturation of my career itself or of like the things that we're doing with the internet, like maybe the internet itself is maturing or, or maybe it's something else entirely. But like, you know, when I first started out, uh, I, my, my personal opinion was like, I don't care about UI. I don't care about this or that. All I want to do is like forms and database queries, right? Like I'll, I will create a form and I'll let you post it and I'll save that data to the database and then I'll make some HTML reports from it. And that's, that's my bread and butter and let the designers be designers. And that is, that's an incredibly boring thing. I was really good at it, which is why I felt like drawn to it. But it's an incredibly, like, can you imagine doing that for 20 years? That would, God, that would suck. But <laughs> like, it, 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 but so that's the, like, the, the minimum useful thing that an application can do is like data collection and reporting, right? And then as, as you start to interact with the, the real world, right? Like as, as the internet matures and, and evolves, we are we are having side effects in the real world and we need to be affected by things in the real world. So just to throw out one example that comes to mind from an earlier conversation, you know, like Lambda step functions, right? You can use those and it's like the, the kind of like totally async. Uh, I've never used them, but from my understanding, it's like, you know, you can just say like, when these conditions are met, then you run the next function in the, in the chain here. And the condition might be like, you know, for, I think, what I heard was that Uber uses this when like signing up new drivers, right? So when you sign up as a Uber driver, you have to go through the the training, you have to get your your equipment, you maybe have to find you have to like submit information about your car. I'm sure there's like five, six, twenty different things you have to do, whatever. And so each of these things like is a is checking something off on a checklist. And when you get to you get to certain like gates through that process, or you know, when these five things are done, then you can move that ball a little bit farther forward. Right, until eventually you were like, okay, you can go be an Uber driver, go. And I feel like that that interaction with the real world increasingly requires this async mentality that we're talking about here, right? Like mm. it's, there is no instantaneous consistency, right? Like we're talking about with the, you've got the monolith application, you get some, somebody submits a form, you got the data, you write the data to the thing, you can spit out a PDF, you can send an email, whatever, but like, none of those things have immediate and, and interesting side effects in the real world. And I like, I feel like there's a parallel here between async and interesting side effects in the real world. Well, I, I do think that you are right in that there's a maturation of the things we're doing. And, and, you know, so much of what we've talked about already involves payment processing and payment processing mm -hmm. has been around forever you know, since the dawn of exchanging of goods. So it's almost no wonder that it seems that everyone who processes payments has this stuff down to a T or, or at least is trying to. But as we're coming into more of a digital age and there's all kinds of new types of interactions and and the the amount of functionality that we can have in any process. I mean, you're just talking about, you know, running background checks and having to supply mm. technical information, ship equipment, like that's just those workflows probably didn't exist before and now they do and now we're trying to come up with interesting ways to solve those problems so i think 
I think there is definitely an evolution and a maturation of how we're thinking and doing things. Yeah, and at the end of the day, it's all just it's state machines all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was about to say something very similar. That was the, you know, Bitcoin and, and, and blockchain and all that stuff was interesting. One of the things I thought was interesting was the whole promise, and maybe one day that we'll be there, but the whole promise of like, they call them smart contracts, where basically, particularly like in the insurance world, where certain certain conditions are met. And you sort of have like these authoritative sources, you have software that kind of runs in the background of the world to check that, to see when things are happening, you know, a certain yeah, a weather service says that, you know, flooding happened in a certain area and it kicks off a thing where it reimburses people for whatever. That I thought was super interesting, though, that whole thing. I don't know how much that's happening in the world right now, but that's a very sort of asynchronous thing where you just say, here's a set of rules. When these rules are met, kick something off. Mm-hmm. Kind of like mm-hmm. that book, Daniel Suarez's book you recommended to me, Adam Damon. Demon, yeah. Demon, yeah. And the, the, that's a, okay. That's an interesting thing to bring up because I feel like that's a that's a problem that we deal with a lot, right? So there's there's a lot of like, okay, when this happens, then do that. And the question is always about resolution. How long are you willing to be, like, how much lag time is acceptable, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, what's your when, refresh rate? Well, but yeah, like you know, okay, when somebody signs up for a membership, you want to send them a welcome email. Okay, great. Do you want that to be in line? If you do, it could slow down the, your throughput. So you kind of need to make it out of process batch thing or push it into a queue or something. And then like, okay, well, how often do you go through that queue? How often, right? Like, the, I guess that email thing is not a great example, but like... Well, no, it, it is an interesting example, I think, because there are so many different ways to solve a problem like that. And they all have pros and cons. And if you can just cut me some wiggle room here for a second, right? One option could be that when you create a new account, you then dual write that information to another record that sort of acts as a local queue. And you can do that inside of a database transaction so that you know that it's always going to be written. Then you have a process that takes that sort of temporary local queue and pushes it into something like a message queue. And then it can be consumed by a bunch of workers that have fanned out and they're sending welcome emails. And that's like a fairly complicated process. Or you could say, what if we just have uh, another database record that has the last user ID that we looked at and every night it'll Mm. churn from the last user ID to the max user ID and it'll send out welcome emails for each one of those records. And if it fails, it'll just pick up where it left off. And that's a significantly simpler solution, but the lag time could be much higher. You know, maybe you're only running that once a night. And is that is that lag time worth the simplicity of the approach or is or is having a big queuing mechanism but you know the email is probably going to go out in five minutes. Is that much more important than the the cost of maintenance of a system like that? Right, and then you also have like, okay, how often does this happen? Right, if this is something that's happening 150 times an hour, then the you know you can you could run the job you know once an hour and expect there to be a significant amount of work for it to do. Versus if it happens once every three days, right? Then running the job once an hour is like total overkill. But then like you get to this position where, okay, it's only going to happen once a week and we don't know when during the week, but we only want to allow like up to an hour of, of lag time, right? Mm-hmm. Like those are the interesting problems that you run into. Oh, stuff's so fascinating. It's <laughs> messy. It's like batch jobs, messy. but I don't want to run the batch jobs on a schedule. I want them to be event, event-based batch jobs, which is mm-hmm. weird. You know, I built a system at work where 
a bunch of things have to happen. And I, I, it wasn't built in a particularly robust way. Basically, there's a master concept and then a bunch of API calls, a bunch of separate API calls have to happen to complete this master concept. And uh, any one of those could fail. And I didn't build in any kind of clever retries or anything. You know, I think it may have like retried once or twice and then it just marks itself as an error. And then all I did was in our internal administrative dashboard, I gave them a view and the view you can say, show me all the things that have erred. And you can just, there's a restart button and it will basically reinitiate the process, but it'll only process the things that failed. And it's like, it sucks that someone has to go in and do that, but the cost of them doing that is so low that yeah, it, it's nothing. It, yeah. That it's, it's less expensive than it would have been to build a really robust system given the platform and infrastructure that we had at the time. Yeah. yeah. That kind of reminds me how Cold Fusion handles their, their undelivered or not the, the, the mail spool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Undeliverable which is mail, just, yeah. which is awful. <laughs> it's just it's because by the time you realize that the mail spool is like gotten big, you're like, oh my god, I don't even know. Do, do what happens if I restart this? <laughs> yeah, I restart this. You know, I mean, do I really need to resend this email from five days ago to right. this person here? Yeah. And it's like, I, that's why I went to you know something like like SendGrid or you know Mailgun that that just like you know hand okay. that off to a to a message queue. <laughs> this is we've we've kind of like touched on a couple of different topics that are, are making me think of this story, so I have to bring it do up. It. The so we recently had somebody we had we got a support ticket and it was that somebody specifically was looking for their welcome email when they signed up for a membership like an alumni association membership and they didn't get it right it was supposed to have certain information they were looking for it couldn't find it so we looked into it found out oh for you know a couple of customers the job somehow got paused nobody remembers pausing it but it's it's not running and it hasn't been running for a little while so. We just turned it back on. No big deal, right? And and oh, and this is all predicated because the the customer, our customer, decided that you know, like when you sign up for membership, we want to send you a welcome email, but we wanted to feel a little less. We wanted to feel a little more organic, right? A little less like instantaneous. When you sign up, you get your welcome email. They wanted it to feel personal, and so they wanted. Like it to took it, a few minutes to think about it. Well. Uh, <laughs> they wanted it to feel like you signed up for membership and then somebody got a notification and processed it and then they they sent you a, a welcome email. And it's designed to look like it comes from a person. And so in order to accommodate that request for the feature, we it's like some sort of a delay. It's like a 20-minute, 30-minute delay, the slight amount of randomization between or, or per, per recipient. And well, so... We turned the job kind back how, on. Kind of how FTX put their their data on their website. Yeah. <laughs> we So we turned the job back on and whoops, it hadn't been running for a very long time. And we sent out like 1,500 welcome emails. <laughs> some of which went to people who were deceased. <laughs> no. Which caused some hurt feelings and, and that sort of thing. Because, you know, we kind of made our customer look bad in that situation, right? Like, yeah. Here's my, here's my bespoke response to a dead guy. Yeah. So there was a little bit of crow to eat there, but like it made us think like, okay, well, so in this sort of situation, how could we prevent that? You, you, you can always say we could have like, okay, well, we don't know exactly how long the job has been disabled. So we could go check the database and see how many of these would be queued up to run when we turn the job back on. But if you chase down that level of diligence for every single you know thing that you fix throughout a day, you would probably get less than half of the work done that, or I personally mm -hmm. would at least get less than half of the, the work done that I'm doing, right? Like, 
so at some point you have to accept that the system is designed well enough to to handle failures or faults like that, right? So how do you how do you design for this to not be a problem? And I mean, this is a very specific thing. I feel like it can be more generally applicable as long as we don't get stuck on the emailing dead people thing. I, I think that's the fun part. If I, if I could just say that, you know, one point of color here, which is that engineers are often chastised for only coding the happy path. So they mm-hmm. don't necessarily code for the failures. And when you're talking about a single file and maybe a particular process, it, it's easy for someone to learn, I should just start with my try-catch logic first so that I know that I have my catch logic and I know that this can recover or log or do whatever it's supposed to do. And then I'll go and I'll put the happy stuff in between the try and the catch. And you can learn to build a more robust system at a very local scale. I mm-hmm. think it's very hard to then take that mentality and say, how do I do this across systems? You know, how do I code the unhappy path first so that I know that I've accounted for it and then code the happy path? And that's, that just feels, right. even thinking about that feels much more challenging. Well, like, again, going back to the specific example, you know, we could say, okay, you, you want there to be a delay of somewhere between 30, 20 and 30 minutes before sending this email. What is the maximum delay? So if we've, if we've already crossed this threshold, don't bother sending it at all, right? If it's been two weeks, then just just skip it. Right. But like, are you really going to think about that for everything? Right. Yo, can I, can I jump that, in with one side story? Go ahead. This, this is very similar to your story. So we had something at work where people's cards get charged at, on an annual basis or a monthly basis, depending on their subscription. And if we can't process their card, then we put their account into an overdue state. And then I think that lasts for seven days. There's some sort of a like dunning. There's a, there's a process name where it like charges the card like an hour and then three hours and then a day and it does it for some oh, exponential back off sort of thing. Yeah. But with credit cards, it's a very specific term. I think it's like a hmm. dunning process anyway. So for whatever, like, I don't remember the exact details, but someone had deployed a bug where the credit card processor was telling us that the card couldn't be charged and that there was a bug in our web hook that was then putting that person into an overdue state. And then what was the problem was is we had about, it was like two or 3,000 subscriptions. I think it was like 2,000 subscriptions where they were overdue on their payment, but we had already expunged their billing data from our system because that was like a different process that didn't have a bug in it. So we had 2,000 people that we either had to downgrade right now to a free plan or we had to contact them and ask them to fill out billing information, but we didn't have an interface that would allow people to just add arbitrary billing information. It had to be done as part of a billing process, and we were we didn't know what to do about that. So we literally ran a calculation like, okay, these two thousand people account for such and such dollar amount, and it was you know some it was like seven thousand dollars. Like it wasn't a crazy amount of money, but it was not a trivial amount of money either. And so our solution was to let's just go into their subscription and mark their end dates to be 2030. And when 2030 rolls around, the background process that downgrades people will take care of these. And there's a note in the code that's like, and hopefully none of us even still work here anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I've left that that comment before. (laughs) That 
that's just admitting failure right there. We didn't know what Come to on. do. Like, we're not going to send out 2,000 emails to people, you know, from support. Like, support didn't have the capacity to even do something like that. And then we didn't have a way to really collect their payment information in a secure way. So we're like, let's just eat that cost. We're just going to eat the like $7,000 or $10,000 of money. And we're never going to charge these people again. And they're going to get to use the system because we just didn't know how to fix it in a way that felt less expensive than that. Wow. Okay. It's a good story. I guess it's a way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> people are like, man, I've, I've never, I haven't had to renew since the past <laughs> 10 years, but this is great. <laughs> What's going on? Envision error in your favor. Yeah, absolutely. So you were talking about how you track things, Adam, right? Like to know if something's wrong. So mm-hmm. previously where I worked at, every project would basically be set up with how do we know when this stops working and how do we know that it's working? Because every new enhancement made to the system should be for the most part, it should either impact the user in a positive way or it should be making money. So how do we know that that's actually happening? So the product owners would actually have data on their dashboard. So in your instance, you know, this new feature goes in, their new dashboard little number shows, you know, 5,000 emails were added to the system today. 5,000 emails were sent from the system today. You know, then 10 days later, when it stops working, you start seeing 5,000 were added. Mm-hmm. 100% were sent. And then as that keeps growing, then they bring it to someone's attention that this feature that they push for no longer is benefiting the customer and it's not making money. So figure out why it stopped being beneficial or figure out like if it's broken. Yeah. Yeah. It, it becomes eventually it becomes like a case of who watches the watchman, right? So like you could it's say it's awful, but yeah. You know, we could we mm-hmm. we could say we're gonna have a okay, we're gonna have a, a another job that monitors and sees how mm-hmm. many how many emails Alert. it would have sent Alert. today, or how many how many emails <laughs> there still are to send, right? And if it goes mm-hmm. over this number, well, then clearly something is wrong. But then, how do you know that that job is running, right? Like, right. There's all so all these things. Mm-hmm. Actually, what we're describing is a problem for a solution called a dead man's switch, right? So it's a dead man's switch is like think of this is a terrible dark thing, and I'm sorry in advance, but like. You know, a, a person wearing an explosive vest, right? Like somebody who's a suicide bomber type of thing, right? And they have that that handle that they hold, and if they release it, then they explode, right? So that means that you can't shoot them because then they'll, if you shoot them, then they're going to drop the thing, and and anybody near them will explode with them. So it's called a dead man switch, right? You have to continue to like be pressing down the button, and if you release it, then the button does something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a a website, a company that I very much like, and I'll go ahead and give them the free plug here. You know, obviously not sponsored. Um, it's called sponsor. Dead Man's... What's that? They should sponsor. Future sponsor. <laughs> Hopefully. They should. Uh, anyway, it's called Dead Man's Snitch, right? And it's Ooh, basically... I like that. It's a... It, deadmansnitch.com. It's a very simple API. You know, you set up these different monitors and you say, okay, I'm, you give it a name and you tell how often you plan to have it check in and it gives you a very unique URL. And basically, all you have to do is like make a request to that URL and that's a check-in. And if we, you stop checking in and it's been, you know, like it, it, it can be smart or you can say, okay, if, if I haven't heard from you within an hour, then you need to let me know. And it'll, it, it'll send you emails. It can send you text messages. We have it hooked up to our ops genie for some of them. So like if this is a, a mission critical process and it goes missing, then let us know. And that's been very good for us, but you can't hook everything up to like, we don't want membership welcome emails to wake somebody up in the middle of the night. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then there's others like 
like I was saying, it becomes a a game of who watches the Watchmen, or you know, is it worth it to to monitor things? You, one of the solutions that I proposed for this whole email thing was like, okay, instead of having a batch job that like starts up, looks to see if there's any work to do, and then, and then if there's work to do, does the work. Instead of doing that, what if we just like in, instantly pushed it into a queue? And I don't I don't know off the top of my head if SQS allows you to say like, okay, I want to add this to the queue, but it doesn't actually become available to be worked until you know. 15 minutes from now, right? Like yeah, like a sort of a ad with delay or whatever. That would be nice. And that would be like, and then you can just monitor the queue depth, right? If it, if it ever goes above this number, then either, then something's wrong one way or another, right? Either we're not getting through them fast enough or the job isn't running. So anyway. We watch a lot of British crime dramas and a phrase that they'll throw in there occasionally is that the, Absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence. And Mm -hmm. that to me is the toughest part of alerting and monitoring Mm -hmm. is it's one thing to, to alert when a threshold goes too high, but what if suddenly your queue is totally empty for an hour? Like, is that, that's scary too. Is that an unhealthy system or is that just, you know, because it happens to be a holiday and none of your banks are using the system. And so there's just happens to be no activity. That's, so that's a very hard or you lost, or you lost internet <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then at work we always have the problem too where people will people will often say things the engineers will say hey I got paged and then I just ignored the page for a few minutes and it just resolved itself and you're like how do we code that mentality into <laughs> the monitor without being like what if we just set the delay to 12 hours <laughs> see if oh, everything this is, resolves this, itself this, this is too real for me right now. We have so we have our, our CFML containers running on AWS Fargate. And for reasons, they have health checks on the Docker containers. And for reasons, they're configured the way they are. But what the end result of the current configuration is, the end result of that current configuration is that sometimes sometimes it's like frequently, sometimes three or four customers will fail, will, will like have a like a false negative health check, right? Or it could be that they're, the customer's website is, is experiencing a high amount of traffic at the moment. And so because of that, the health check takes too long to succeed. And that is considered a, a failing health check, which then restarts the container. And because Lucy takes so dang long to start up, you know, it spins up a new container. But then as soon as that one is like up and they, it started the process, it starts to spin down the other process and so you we end up with downtime and alarms go off and they they fix themselves because the fix has already happened the fix is what caused the alarm right it did a deploy <laughs> it's so frustrating to me because i'm yeah. like i'm sure that the the reason that the health checks are the way they are it, it, it's good for some reason but it's super annoying to have like alerts going off in the middle of the day or worse in the middle of the night for things that I know will fix themselves like 99 times out of 100. It's just, it's super frustrating. I feel like Docker health checks are fundamentally flawed in some ways. But I, I, Kubernetes just adds, I don't know, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say Kubernetes, but, but containerization definitely has some quirks that you never have to think about when you have dedicated machines. It has a lot of advantages, but it also has yeah. a lot of quirks. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I guess that's where we will call it a night tonight. This episode of Working Code is brought to you by Hot Topic. Uh, <laughs> apparently, we're 
teenagers still shop? It still exists. <laughs> I, wait a minute. If if malls don't exist anymore, how does Hot Topic still exist? <laughs> Hot Topic still have storefronts. Wow. Yeah. They haven't all become Spirit Halloween yet? No, and they <laughs> apparently are one of the few places that sell Twilight merchandise. Oh, okay. For sure. Well, well, when you're when you're in the market for some Twilight merchandise for your <laughs> neighborhood teenage girls, Hot Topic is where you want to go. And listeners like you. Creepy. <laughs> Creepy. This episode of this uh, very weird podcast. Uh, if you're enjoying the show and you want to make sure that we can continue putting more of whatever this was out into the universe, then you should consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons cover our recording and editing costs, and we couldn't do this every week without them. Special thanks to our top patrons, Monty and Giancarlo. You guys rock. So we are going to go record our after show. There's a note here that I'm very curious to find out. It says people who have two families. So apparently somebody has something to share with us. But we'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> but if you want to hear that story and more like it, you uh, have to become a patron. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash working code pod. I'll remind you that we do have a free trial of our Patreon still. Maybe, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say that free trial is going away at the end of the calendar year. So if you want to get a free trial, time is running out. Act now. <laughs> While supplies last. That's it for us this week. We'll catch you next week. And until then, remember your heart matters no matter how out of sync you are. <laughs> You've been listening to Working Code with your hosts, Adam, Ben, Carol, and Tim. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and review on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. We'll catch you on the next episode of Working Code. <laughs>